The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Was there a question about the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is also a question of um, how that works? Were you, I mean, were you bribing um, people, government uh, employees overseas to get their business, to get their contract? Is that, according to the Torah, is there an issue? Obviously, again, if it's illegal, um, anything that's illegal by the uh, by our standards, by government standards, there's no question. Um, then becomes prohibited halachically. So, so as far as anything that's illegal, obviously, is going to be prohibited halachically. <laughs> yes, that's the way it works. Um, in when it comes to monetary issues, surely tort law, at least. We're not saying marijuana is illegal, but but I'm saying, uh, but at least in tort law, so anything the government outlaws technically is prohibited um, halachically, but. The question is how, from the Torah perspective of the definition of quote-unquote bribery, how does that apply to many of these situations when you're dealing with with political favors, um, you know, when you're dealing with, again, foreign governments or foreign corporations on water? Okay, um, so, so a few scenarios here that I put. One is scenario number one is a uh, congressman is very interested in receiving the Jewish vote in his district. Okay, this is, if, again, this is fiction. If you know anyone who fits this bill, it's not. And you don't know the congressman. <laughs> <laughs> congressman is very interested in receiving the Jewish vote in his district and is known, and he is known as the person to call when someone wants a political favor. Is it permissible to call a politician to ask for a government service that one would not be able to attain using the ordinary system? doesn't matter whether the, the service is something that affects an individual, a group of people, or a congregation, an area of town. So, so we need to use, yes, if skip down here, actually, there's a few words. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this word. It's the modern Hebrew word, but I think it's really Yiddish. I'm not sure what the source of the of this word is called protectia. Have you ever heard that word? No? Protectia. If you, if you ever go to Israel, this is the key word. David, have you ever heard that word? Protectia? I think the uh, mafia uses it as... It's called protection. <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy translation. So in Israeli society, this is like it's a part of everyday life, meaning because it's um, somewhat a socialist country, I guess you can say. Started off, you know, in that sense, the, the and it's there's a lot of red tape for everything. So the way anything works, really, if you want to get anything done, you need to have protection. Which just means you need to know the right guy in the, in the office, whichever, whatever you're trying to do. You need to know the right person in the right office. For example, someone just told me there, um, someone has a, um, the Cohen's, one of the torture rabbis, kid is very sick, so her mother's coming from Israel, but her passport is expired. Okay, so it's American passport, she's an American the passport's expired. So they need to hurry it up, so they found someone with protection who's making, they're getting the passport in the day. They hope to have it by Wednesday. So that's called protection. So the question is, is there a problem with doing that? Is that is there an issue? I'm just trying to hear. Okay, can you hear? Come closer. I'll come closer. Okay, so again, there's no good way to translate the word protection, but basically, uh, this is my own, I put this together, the use of nepotism or influence in order to achieve an objective. Okay? So, it's not, we're not talking about, again, bribes, but we're talking about sort of, even maybe even cutting the line sometimes when there's a, there's a process, sort of um, going through the red tape and not going through the process. Um, by way of knowing someone in the right place. Okay. I mean, is this in the sense of where, like you said, it's nepotism or, or well, nepotism. You're using, I mean, or are you just saying the average constituent who calls and the constituent calls his congressman? Right. So calling anybody else in this district. Right. So I'm saying, if everyone's equal, then I don't think it's a question. We'll discuss that. Meaning, obviously, if if what you're doing is part of the, is the way the system. Not, I don't want to say the way the system works. Many systems are corrupt. But I'm saying if, if he treats everyone equally, then you're not. Okay, yeah, well, but we'll get to I, that. I, I'm going to pick up on that because I don't understand really the, that it's Jewish. I mean, lots of people call their, their members of Congress or their members of council and they say, you know, the, the sewer is backed up right here and I've called City Hall 14 mm -hmm. times and it didn't come. Yeah. And right. the, the city council member will call somebody in. in uh, uh, utility division and sense of body. Right. Yeah, so Does I... Does have to do with their yeah, so we'll, we'll get there. They want to do No, things. 100%. Right, no, but I'm saying, but the question is, is that, let's say I'm talking about in a more... 
different scenario where we're saying, you know, we want to support you, like where you sort of... Well, it does mean, it does mean, being Jewish means something. Your surname is Jewish. The guy might be the publisher might be more inclined to... He wants that Jewish vote. Right, well, so the rabbi's calling... The other part of his district, but still we're not using a personal friendship. I mean, we're still a constituent, constituent like everybody else. Okay, so that's, so that's a good point. Okay, so now that's one scenario. Scenario number two. Until recently, physicians would receive gifts from pharmaceutical companies in order to entice them to prescribe the company's medications. Okay, and that's not the reason that the pharmaceuticals said they were doing it, but they would give out, never gone to any medical conference or, um, you know, they always, you get all these tchotchkes and it's all the pharmaceutical companies giving out uh, stuff in order to entice. Anytime they come to your office, besides the free samples, actually there's Dr. Hare who gets every once a week kosher lunch delivered to his office by a pharmaceutical rep. They go lunch, that's why. Right, so <laughs> completely kosher lunch. He told him, you want to come to my office? Fine, but you got to bring it. got to be kosher. He gets for the whole office kosher lunch, and he's, he's a happy camper. So, so recent regulations set limits on what types of gifts are acceptable. Physicians also receive gifts from specialists that the physician refers to. Is this ethical? Is that okay, or is that some referring to some form of a bribe? Um, so to speak. Okay. C. Bob has an old car that runs well, but the license plate lamp has an electrical problem. And as such, it specifically took a problem that's not mechanical, meaning nothing serious, but he must repair it in order to pass his upcoming vehicle inspection. Bob figures that it's cheaper for him to give the inspector a box of donuts than to repair the license plate lamp. Is it ethical to do so? Um, anyone who's had an old 10 uh, year old car or older has been in this situation. And, uh, no, but you know, it's been there many this, times. But it, as opposed to the other two, well, this could apply to me also. Are you take by doing that? Are you putting somebody, a third party, at risk? Well, it was the third so party. Number one, you're not really putting anybody at risk. Is it possible because you don't fix your lamp that somebody hits you or you hit somebody else? That's a possibility. Oh, it's a license plate. It's just showing you. It's a yeah, well, but, but it's, pretty easy, it's pretty easy to go from there to break. <laughs> to, uh, you read all the time of city inspectors on construction projects, not that I would know anything about this, that, um, you know, you help hypothetically. Your, hypothetically, you help yourself to some sheets of plywood and, uh, you know, and, and sign off on the electrical, the plumbing, the foundations, you name it. Well, that's... Right. I mean, well, I, I specifically took a, not for that reason I took that case, because obviously if there's a question like you're saying, the brake issue, well, that, that's a real issue, um, you know, where, where you're endangering people's lives. Well, number two, I'm going to be complying with that, though, to a certain extent. Yeah, right? So, true. So I'm not, I'm not, that's a whole other issue, which is, obviously, if you're endangering someone's life, that's a problem. But we're addressing it from the, specifically the bribe quote-unquote bribe perspective. Is it, do we look at it, is that considered a bribe? Is that prohibited? Okay. So, so uh, clearly the Torah, by the way, so the way, this is what I want to get into. The Torah prohibits bribery, as we'll see. The question is going to be, and we'll discuss it, is it specifically in the judicial system where bribes are pro prohibited? Or these type of scenarios? Uh, the number D is like the Foreign Corruption Practices Act, um, which again, which I just downloaded um, from the, this we just to explain exactly what it is. The FCPA has two provisions, anti-bribery and accounting. In essence, the anti-bribery provision makes it a crime for any U.S. individual, business or entity, or employee of a U.S. business entity to offer or provide directly or through third party anything of value to a foreign government official with corrupt intent to influence an award or continuation of business or to gain an unfair advantage. Okay, so it's not even a broad meaning you're just, anytime you give a gift, to a foreign, um, what was the word used? Foreign, foreign government official with the intent to help your business, that's a that's a illegal, and you can go to jail for that. Okay, um, the according provisions basically make it illegal for a company that reports the SEC to have false or inaccurate books, okay, that's the second part. That's accounting, which obviously is a real thing. So obviously the question is, um, is that, it, again, prohibited by American law, and the, I think the European Union recently outlawed it. Recently, so in American law, it's on the books since 1977. Um, they recently started being very aggressive at prosecuting um, this law. 
um, but uh, but it only became prohibited in Europe, I think, in, uh, you know, maybe three, three, four years ago. Um, and this is the question here. This is obviously foreign governments in most places overseas. Most governments, that's the way you get the contract. It's the only way you get the contract is if you help out the, the person inside, right? Standing operating procedures. So, as a matter of fact, what they, a lot of the people discussing this law say, how American companies now, since America has cracked down on it, have, have basically cannot get any contracts overseas based based on this law because any other country that doesn't have a permit is going to get the contract because they're paying for <laughs> they're giving some gifts to them. So it's it's a and it's we're not discussing the pros and cons of the law that's not for this class. Um, but the question is so now is it again is it of course like we said once it's illegal it's prohibited halachically but is it um, according to the Torah prohibited based on the aspect the, the prohibition of bribery is what we want to discuss okay so the, the word the Hebrew word for bribery is shochad the Talmud says uh, actually a beautiful thing as we know in Hebrew every word is not just an arbitrary word the Hebrew the word is the essence obviously has a meaning of, of uh, not just arbitrary symbols for that word so the word shochad the word, the Hebrew word for barbary actually comes from it's a combination of two words, which is shahu chad. Okay, chad means one, a chad, right? You become one. I mean, whenever you give a gift to someone, technically speaking, you are, it says you and that person are now, you're, when you, it's just like in any relationship. You have a, you know, husband-wife relationship or whatever it is. How, how do you, um, I guess, move the relationship to the next stage is when you start giving, when you give gifts to the person dating someone then you start buying them flowers when, when you give a gift to someone basically what the um, what the word is saying is shohad means shohad you become one with that person obviously in the judicial part when you're dealing with the judge it's obviously a problem the question is how that works in other in, in other scenarios so so let's read a little just the verses in the Torah which is the prohibition against bribery so there's, there's two places the Torah prohibits bribery um, we're starting with the second one first which is the, the second one is in um, Deuteronomy, in Dvarim, it says, uh, it's a number of verses there, it starts off saying, you shall not pervert the judgment of your man in his lawsuit, in, in his, the word is in lawsuit, it's a translation, but riv, in his, in his fight, so to speak, okay, do not pervert judgment, meaning, this is a separate prohibition, which is you're not supposed to, just because someone is the underdog, you're not supposed to favor the underdog as a judge, okay, so it's two people walk into your court just because this guy has a lot of money, this guy doesn't, you're not allowed to show favoritism. Works both ways. You can't show favoritism to the to the guy who has a lot of prestige and money, and you want to show you know that that's prohibited. And also, you can't even show you Torah is prohibiting showing any favoritism to the underdog. That's not a reason to um, you're not allowed to change the law, so to speak, or or you know to be have bias towards the underdog. Okay. Um, like in some, kind of, I know, I don't know if it's true. When I was growing up in New York, wasn't involved in real estate, but they say in New York City, because obviously very, it's a liberal town, liberal judges. So the they would say the landlords always always lose the case. I was like standing practice. I don't know. Again, I never went to a case, but you know, it was known that the tenant always wins every case. Landlord tenant case in New York City, tenant always wins. Um, Generically, majority true statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? My cousin would say that's true. He's a New York landlord. Yeah. Landlord. No, I'm saying here too is like a. The tenants were landlords. Tenants. Oh, it's a tenants yeah, market. It's right? You're saying it's a tenant. In New York, it's a tenant market right, by the courts and the system there. Right, because it's, it's more, more liberal. You go to the underdog. More, more liberal judges would tend to go to the underdog. It's true there. And, I know. And from Republican, owners, Republican judges would go for the, for the rich guy. Yeah. What do you say? Not commenting. That's a bad thing. I would say that landlords typically win because the here, law here, in Texas. because yeah. the law is applied, yeah. and the law consistently favors the landlord. The right. landlords write the, the, the agreements. Tenants, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, sign the agreement that's put in front of them, and it's already it's written from the landlord's perspective. Yeah. So the judge enforces the law. It's pretty straightforward. It's yeah. not so, a, uh, again. I, I wasn't involved, but I remember. Just even like evicting a tenant in New York, it's yes, like almost impossible. impossible. It is right. impossible. In Manhattan, like you can't get anyone out. Of yeah. But that is probably following New York law. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I was giving it somebody is. advice yesterday, last week on uh, tenant landlord tenant relationship on a uh, LA matter, 
and I said, you know, here's the Texas law, but I am sure that California law <laughs> is going to be much, much more lenient to the tenant. Mm -hmm. And they came back and said, oh, yeah, we checked. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we... we Right. So, the, the, so the, that's, if the law is on the books, that's right. fine. The question is to favor the tenant because they're, so to speak, you know, the poor, the underdog. That's, that's what the Torah is saying is a problem. Okay? Um, so, the, so continues, and the verse continues on top, verse 7. Distance yourself with the famous verse in the Torah. You shall distance yourself from a false matter. By the way, this is good to know. Many say the biblical prohibition of lying, which comes from this verse, specifically only relates to money matters. Meaning, if you're not lying about something else, it's not a biblical violation. Not, I'm not saying it's a good thing, not condoning it, but the biblical law, many, many halakhic authorities say, because of this verse, specifically as it relates to um, money matters or, or <coughs> we'll see capital cases. Okay, and it says, Do not kill a truly innocent person or one who has been declared innocent, for I will not vindicate a guilty person. And, and verse number 8 says, Continuation, you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe will blind the clear-sighted and corrupt words that are right. Okay, which is not the greatest translation there. I don't know if I translate like that. Let's see what article says. Literally in the Hebrew, it would say the verse saying, "Shochad lo tikach, do not accept the bribe." Ki shochad yaaver pikhim, it blinds the the ones. That's correct, the ones you can see. Visalef tivir tzadikim, and and corrupts the words of the righteous, not words that are right. I would translate as the words of the righteous. So meaning, what well, basically what, what we're saying here is. And the Talmud talks extensively about it. Even the, you know, the Pope, whoever, Mother Teresa, the, the most upright person when it comes, you know, when money can change them, like we're saying, because inherently getting a gift can change your perspective on things. And therefore, so no matter how righteous the person is. So would that, by analogy, be like Pastor Hagee gave yes. money? You <laughs> we were just talking about this, yes. Then he would 100%. have an outsized influence on what. 100%. So, what. what not even a question, but it doesn't mean it's not worth it. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a different debate, but I'm saying, but yeah, 100% right. There's no percentage. Yeah, 100% right, meaning so as you what we're saying is you need to be very to careful. Quote, just to quote you from earlier, yes. he gives a lot. <laughs> so because he gives a lot, <laughs> we yes. can make, no, I, we can make accommodations as opposed to somebody that. who gives $150. So I think I'm quoting you pretty <laughs> accurately. <laughs> what I said was, I said we need friends, and he's a friend. That was that's what we said, but the point is the the. the By the way, the I agree with you 100 percent. Needed friends. <laughs> I agree with you 100 percent that there's no question taking money from any source clearly blind. That that's clear. That's the words I say. I don't disagree with that. that I can't. The Torah says it outright. So it's not the question. The question is, does that make it? Is it now prohibited? Here, the context, as we'll see, is in the case of a judicial system. That's going to be the question. I, I, I would I would at least posit that if Pastor Hagee's views were put forward that it would not receive ringing endorsement but because of the money and the size of the money he gives he gets a pass on a lot of the things he has to say. Please continue. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Everyone's right. A couple million plays, Greg. Listen, look at Adelson, 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 Adelson. Adelson. Is the Yavera like a Vera? Am I reading it wrong? Where, where, where are you? Second line, Yavera, is it like a Vera? Am I reading the wrong word? Which one? Yavera, no, in this case, it means blindness. Yeah, it's a different word, because it's a Vav. That's a bit, Avera is a bit. This means blind, Ever means blind. Okay. That's the word blind. Okay, so that's one source. The second source in the Torah, from the from Exodus, where it says, um, "You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show favoritism, and you shall not take a bribe." For bribery again blinds the eyes of the wise, and here it says, the eyes of the "Wise." It changes the language a little and perverts just words. Okay, and the question is why the Torah repeats it twice, as we know the Torah doesn't mince words. So the Talmud says one is to tell you a case of capital cases. First, uh, Deuteronomy is referring to capital cases, and um, in the case in Exodus, it's referring to monetary cases. So in both cases, it's saying a judge, you might think only on a capital case, like we said, if you're playing with someone's life, you can't take um, a bribe. But in the other case, maybe yes. So no, we're saying the Torah prohibits bribes um, in, in the judicial system in either case, whether it's monetary, whether it's capital. Now, um, now the obvious question is, 
if we read it, if you look back, and that's why I put all these verses here, all the way back in the first verse, on the bottom of the first page, verse 6 said, you shall not pervert the judgment, you shall not pervert judgment, period. So that's already a, a violation, meaning obviously if I'm going to change the law because <coughs> someone gave me a gift, and I'm a judge, I'm going to say, okay, well, this guy gave me the gift, so I'm going to go with this defendant, right? I'm going to get him off the hook, whatever the case is, obviously that's perverting judgment. You're already, it's already prohibited. Okay, so Talmud says, why do I need special law prohibiting bribery? Bribery is perverting judgment, right? Any judge who takes a bribe and then rules like the person who took the bribe from, obviously, he already violated the law of perverting judgment, which is already prohibited. It's already one of the 613 commandments. So why do we need a new commandment, don't take bribes? Says the Talmud, you're right. For that, for taking a bribe and changing your judgment and, and going with the guy who gave you the gift, that's, that's obviously, that's perverting judgment. You already know that's prohibited. It's coming to tell you in a case specifically where, where you're going to still rule your, no, you're taking the gift, accept the gift, but you're still going to rule whatever the law is, keeping the law, and you're going to rule whoever you thought, you already knew, you decided before you walked into the courtroom who's guilty. It's already the third day of the trial, you're going in today to give your, to give your decision, the judge is going to give decision, before he goes into the courtroom, the guy comes over to him, gives him a gift. So he already made his decision, he's not changing his decision, and he might be going with the other guy. In that case, is it permitted for him to take a gift? That's where you need the Torah to say bribery is prohibited. Because perverting judgment is obviously prohibited. It's the case where you're not going to change your judgment. It's still the Torah saying it's still called a bribe, and therefore you can't take it, and it's a violation of, of this prohibition. Okay, so that's that clear? So that's what it's saying here in number two. It says, is the Torah, the Talmud asked this question in Tractate Ketubot. It says, is it coming to prohibit bribery to win the case? Obviously, that is already included in the verse, do not pervert justice. So what's it coming to tell you? Even in a case where the claimant will win anyway, it is still prohibited to take a gift um, in that case from the judge. Okay? So that's, that's, so it's, it's clear from the Torah, bribery is prohibited. There's not a question. There's no two ways about it. Um, and we're saying in any case, even if you don't plan on changing judgment, bribery is prohibited in the judicial system. The question now becomes... Um, out of the judicial system. Because if you, all our scenarios we discussed are people who are not judges. So do we say that this prohibition of bribery is limited to where the Torah says in the, ju- in the justice system? Or is it across the board, even in other scenarios? Yes. Even before you get to that, it looks like in all these examples, it's the acceptance of the bribe, not giving a bribe, that seems to be the... Okay, so that's a very good point. And you're right. The Torah only deals with the acceptance. Forget about the examples. In the Torah itself, it says, uh, you shall not accept a bribe. It's talking to the judge. Right. It doesn't say it's prohibited sure. to give a bribe anywhere in the Torah. So it's a valid, valid, valid point. Compared to, like, let's say, the, the paying of interest, you cannot accept interest from a Jew. Right, exactly. So, exactly. So, the Rambam says, so the Rambam is bothered by your question. So, the question is, the Torah never prohibits giving a bribe, it's only accepting the bribe. So, the Rambam says, you're 100%. This, this violation is only for the receiver, but he says it's lifnaiver, the, the, the violation we spoke about many times, you're, you're placing a stumbling block. By giving the bribe, you're causing the judge to sin. So that's the prohibition. So it's a biblical prohibition, but it's not this prohibition of the bribe, it's you're causing, him to, you're causing someone else to sin. That's the issue. That's how the Ramam understands it, because of your question. So it's a very, very good question. Okay, so, um, so again, the question is how this applies in other cases. Um, and now the next quote is a fascinating thing that I found, which I'll tell you, I have a personal story that goes with this. Um, so it says, this is a from taken from the Torah and the Shokhanar, which is the codification of the Talmud, and of, uh, um, and they're quoting, actually, the Torah's father. His name was the Rush, he's known as the Rush. So he's quoting here, the responsible of the Gonim, that if a plaintiff sends a gift to the judge prior to filing suit, so before the court case, it won't invalidate the judge, okay? It's a fascinating statement. I mean, he's saying the only time the Torah permits what's called a bribe is specifically during the judicial process. So the judge, during the judicial process, cannot take a gift. If the defendant prior to the process came and gave him a gift, technically that's not a violation, is what the Gohanim is saying. It's not a violation. No, he was a, yeah, he was a part of it. Right, prior to the judicial process starting, meaning, again, right, that, so that wouldn't invalidate the judge from taking that case. Although it says... However, it says very clearly, if the judge feels like it will affect his judgment, he should remove himself from the case. Um, but, but it's very hard to be objective, like we're saying in those situations. Um, and, and, but we're still saying, technically, halachically, according to the Torah, again, he's, he's okay with 
keeping staying on the case, um, which which I found fascinating, um, because we're so careful, as we see the Talmud extensively with with bribery, and it says there were rabbis who says one um, who they borrowed, you know, their friend, their neighbor's lawnmower, they wouldn't take the case um, in the future. But again, that's what we call the flimishers, so above and beyond the law. Saying legally is what the Russia is saying. You don't have to remove yourself from the case, but obviously above and beyond the law, you should if you want to see, you know, be viewed as an ethical judge, etc. So I had, um, I, I don't know if we ever discussed this here in the past, but I had a case a few years ago um, where there was, it was a question of um, trying to get an injunction to stop an autopsy for someone in the community. And uh, so I had no idea. I got a lawyer who was doing a pro bono for going to help me out, the family. I mean, I was the one, the family was obviously not involved. I was, they asked me to help them out. So we, we had to go to court to get an injunction. So I got this attorney come down to court with me. Um, and you did Greg Rosenberg? You know Greg Rosenberg? Not from Beth Sharon. Yeah. He's an attorney. He's actually in Greenway here. Um, he's a very feisty, feisty guy. Um, to put him out. No, you don't know him? Not well. Not well. I know so, enough about him to say okay. Anyway, so we, we walk into the court, and the, the way it works is the, it's the, uh, I forgot the name, it's an ancillary, I don't know. The court, answer court. So they, they, there's 14 judges rotate through the court um, to take this, you know, for injunctions. And we come into the courtroom, and lo and behold, the, the judge who's that day who happened to be hand of God, clearly the hand of God. Which is just rotation. No, he wasn't even on rotation. <laughs> Another judge wouldn't show up. So he took the play, he was substituting. Happened to be a friend of mine who I, we learned together, and he was on the torch board. <laughs> his name was Grant Dorfman. He, he lost the election. He was a Republican, so he lost when all the Republicans got. So he was a judge at the time. And uh, so we wa he actually wasn't there yet. And he was late, and we need they were going to start the autopsy. This was, he was supposed to be called for nine. He wasn't there. It was like almost 10. So I, said, I told my attorney, we're waiting in this courtroom. So I said, I have his cell phone. I, you know, he's in the gym. I can call him. I know he's. <laughs> Should I should call him up. He said, no, you can't do it. Like, do not call. So uh, he walks into the court, and to make a long story short, he uh, obviously gave us the injunction. Usually you have to pay, um, you have to pay bond, you have to post bond, because if they fight the injunction, let's say that in this case it was the uh, medical examiner fights the injunction, so you have to pay all the attorney fees if you lose. Okay, if they win, and they go to trial, they fight the injunction, so, they, so you have to post bond. It's usually like $5,000. So... Uh, Greg Rosenberg tells the judge, uh, um, Your Honor, you know, we're a little low on cash. I had a poker game last night, and <laughs> really don't have much cash to post. So the judge, uh, judge says, Rabbi, is poker permitted according to the Torah? <laughs> so, so, so Greg Rosenberg goes, Your Honor, all the earnings we're giving to Torch, any earnings I made, are going to Torch and Buckle Show. So to make a long story short, so he said, Okay, $5 bond. So we went downstairs to the window. I proposed the bond. Five, the lady said, "What? You never heard of this? Said, Why? Are you sure? It's a mistake." So anyway, that was part. That's only part of the story. Just to, I don't want to bore you with all the details. We thought, okay, it was over. The, meanwhile, the medical examiner actually came. Five minutes later, we get a phone call that we have to be in court at two o'clock. They're actually going to fight it, and it's going to trial. So we came. We so we came back at two. We had to organize our papers, and legally, we really had no chance. What was amazing was so the the, the also what happened was when we uh, quick story. It's not That's so where quick. the bribe comes into play. So I don't know. It's very relevant. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when we uh, we handed in all the papers, I what happened was I had I had got all the rabbis in the city to sign a letter saying that it's against the Jewish religion to do an autopsy in this case. It's against the Jewish religion, and we, so I wrote up a nice letter. I had went around the city. Basically, we had like ten rabbis sign it. Now, since I was the one organizing, it was on tour stationery. So the judge's name, <laughs> we're handing in this the board, as the evidence. The, the, the board would have the no idea of that name. anyway, by the way, in case you're and wondering. And the judge's <laughs> name is on the stationery. The, well, the judge, judge is giving the injunction. Yeah, right, he would. Okay, so, would, yeah. so he looks at it, yeah. he's looking through the papers, and he calls us up to the bench, and he goes, uh, this is a problem. He, he says, you can't submit this, obviously. So he took, we, we scratched that from the evidence. Um, anyways, to make a long story short, <laughs> so he comes to trial, so he, um, because he was an upright standing judge, so he, as we started the trial, they had three attorneys, they came with three attorneys, medical Um so he said, I need to, he called up both attorneys, all the sets of attorneys to the bench, so I need to make a disclosure here, 
before we start the trial. First of all, I have a personal friend of Rabbi Grossman who seems to be very involved in this case, although he's not, I, mean, I wasn't a defendant because it's a deceased family, the defendant. But anyway, and he said also, and I'm actually on his board, he mentioned I'm on the board of his organization, I need to disclose that. If you'd like to request another judge, you can do that. So I'm gonna, he gave a recess, he gave a 15 minute recess. I took my, my prayer book, I was praying. Okay. <laughs> 15 minutes went in the other room. I thought for sure they can say they want to request another judge. Even if they request, he doesn't have to agree, but they have the, he has to give them the right to request. Like long story short, they agreed to go ahead and uh, we won the case, um, <laughs> um, even though we shouldn't have, probably. Huh. We won the case. There was no autopsy, but they appealed it, and <coughs> one of the, in their appeal actually was their claim that he was, they didn't realize how close he was with me. But uh, it's still under, it's on like the third appeal now. Um, so it's still on the appeal, this is two years ago. It's still under. You're saying maybe yeah. my cousin Vinny, that He's no longer judge. Maybe called my cousin Vinny. It's like yeah, that yeah. one where he gets them off. The two <laughs> right. Kid, the two kids right. are it's like his cousin somebody. Never been a lawyer. Yeah. Right. right. So I never gave this judge a gift. I never gave him anything. I mean, we've learned. I prepared. Rabbi, he's he, done a he, he should have recused himself. He shouldn't have offered the option. He In which case, the trial or the initial injunction? The initial injunction is probably okay because in the in the expediency of time, he needed to. There was no damage done to any party by stopping it. Allowing it to go forward would have been irreparable damage. So. TROs are granted to stop irreparable damage. So it was okay for him there, but he shouldn't have heard the case. <laughs> Which yeah. is, of course, why he's no longer on the bench. <laughs> so because you can say you help, in any case. you help contribute to your friend anything, uh, the only going off the bench. <laughs> hey, now he's making a nice living. He's, he's, a, he, he's a terrific guy, yes, and a you very, know? very smart yes. lawyer. And it, it is a shame he's not on the bench, but he should have recused himself from that case. Because he, he gave them the option to back up. It was their he choice. No. He, he, sh he gave okay. them the option. He, sh he should have removed himself. In any case, okay, so let's continue. Yeah. So that's it's, it, this is a story where, again, obviously within the judicial system, if anything, that there was no bribes there, obviously, and there was nothing um, given even prior to the case. But we're saying even if something happened prior to the case, according to halacha, he wouldn't be obligated to recuse himself. Again, maybe above and beyond the law, which might have been the right thing to do. I mean, even after everything was done, I never called him. Well, obviously during the trial, but even afterwards, I was advised I wanted to give him a gift. Like what well, I know, I you know he helped us out, and I felt <coughs> I spent a lot of time. And obviously, I was advised. Did you not read any of this? No, no. The after, this was after it was after the ruling. After the ruling, what was the ruling happened? So I wanted to call him up and thank you, really? thank him, and I was told by my attorney not to do that. Is that, um, why, they were, is that why they removed him from the torch court as well? <laughs> and from the bench. <laughs> right, <both>. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's continue. So the question is, we don't have much time here. Um, so now, so bribery versus corruption. So the question is, there, bribery can be used to corrupt the judge. However, one can violate the prohibition of bribery even if there's no corruption of justice. That's just, as we mentioned before, technically speaking, because um, even if the judge made his decision already, we're saying at that point, during the process, anytime during the judicial process, it's prohibited to give a gift to the judge. Um, so even if it's not going to corrupt, so there's two, what we're showing is, is one is not necessarily dependent on the other. You can have um, corruption without bribery, obviously, and you can have, not every case of bribery is corruption, because we're saying even if he made his decision, it's still prohibited. Now, by the way, just a, in U.S. law that I found, in U.S. law, a government official on the back page here may not accept a gift, but then now we're switching over from the judicial system, um, to any government official. The question is now, how, how does it work with your congressman? Can I, uh, you know, support his pact um, with the uh, goals and objectives of swaying his views or using him in the future if I have a corporation or business where I might need his help, whatever the case may be, or even a lower level, um, let's say, lower level, uh, you know, inspector, whatever the case may be. So it says in U.S. law, a government official including judges, uh, obviously, may not accept a gift. However, there are certain gifts that are permissible that would be considered a form of bribery in Jewish law that are permitted according to American law. These include Kevin social hospitality based on personal relationships, okay, modest items such as food and refreshments, is important, listen, 
refer, offered as a matter of social hospitality. So this would be the case where, let's say, the judge... Right, exactly. So I had this judge, which I, I don't think I did. I invited him for Shabbat and never came. Um, but I had him all... I, I didn't have him over, but we've gone out for lunch. But he paid, actually. He paid. That's the rule when you take the rabbi. So he paid. Uh, so I never paid for his lunch. Um, but greeting cards and, and items with little intrinsic value, such as plaques, certificates, and trophies, are intended solely for presentation. Okay, so in those cases, we're saying, um, according to American law, that would be fine. That wouldn't invalidate you. That's permitted. It's legally permitted to a government official. But according to Allah, those would still be if Again, if it was, we're talking about during the judicial process, this would be a problem. Okay, specifically ju- during the judicial process. Even these would be prohibited. Any, any, yes. Any, anything given, um, as a matter of fact, and I didn't put it down here, there was no room. Talmud extensively talks about even borrowing, as a judge, can you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower? Meaning, let's see, who happens to be a defendant. It says prohibited. Um, the only way it says it actually does permit one case is they ask, how come this rabbi once did it? So it says because he actually gave him his lawnmower too. They borrowed each other's stuff. So as long as it's, it's, you know, they're both equally getting from each other, then that's sufficient. And that's not prohibited. Okay, um, but but it's interesting to see is that the halach in this in certain instances is stricter, at least when it comes to a judge specifically, because again we don't know yet what the halacha says about non-judge, uh, non-judicial officials. But it's when it comes to a judge, <coughs> these things that are permitted in in American law will be prohibited in halach in according to Torah, according to halach. Well, I don't know if it's biblical, but at least this is a general catch-all. Yes, halacha prohibits everything, anything. There's no, no, no matter how modest the item is, still would be prohibited. Okay, so now, so I found two responses in dealing with, um, dealing with uh, non-judicial officials. So the first case is, um, this is someone known as the Papula Harifta, I don't know his real name, um, written again in the probably 1200s. So he says, um, he sees from this case of the rush, he says, come and see an important idea that our teacher, uh, the rush, has taught us that bribery is prohibited even when it's not in the context of a rabbinical court, rather in the context of penalty. The case there was where, um, let me make sure, the case there was where the guy, um, he wasn't the judge on the case, but he was some of, some, someone in the court where he's meeting at the punishment or whatever the case was, but he wasn't the actual judge. And still the rush says there that it's prohibited, it's very clear, it would be prohibited, um, it would be considered bribery, even just by, if this guy lent him his lawnmower or something like that. I wrote this to teach those who are appointed by the community that even though their judgments are not judicial by nature, they were not appointed for that purpose, they should nevertheless refrain from accepting gifts for the judgments. So he seems to imply, based on this other commentator, that uh, even if you're any appointed person in the community, any appointed official or, um, in the community would be problematic for him to take gifts that might influence his say when it comes to this, to his constituents in the community. Okay, that's, that's num- source number one. Source number two that I found is, um, says it seems that regarding the actual law, okay, this is from a, this is actually about a rabbi. Um, the question was, as we know, many, uh, it's a very painful process when a synagogue has to go through um, vetting out rabbis, right, and, and choosing their rabbi. So, so the question was, there was a case here, it seems like, where this synagogue um, had a democratic process. This took place in the 1700s. Okay, th- this was written, um, but it seems like the one of the rabbis went ahead and paid um, many of the congregants to vote for him in the process. Okay, so he paid off the board members to vote for him. And the question is, is that is there any problem with that? You know, he gave out. You know, okay. Um, I want to make sure is the rabbi himself. Let me just see it inside here. Um, to make sure I got the case right. Um, Okay, the community was looking for a rabbi. The first two candidates that came up for a vote were rejected by the congregation. The third candidate then won a majority of the votes. It was then discovered that at least some of the members of the congregation were bribed to reject any candidate except the third candidate. And then they came to the Chassam Sofer, who was the leader of, of world Germany at the time, Allah decisor and they asked him, so can we, this rabbi was appointed based on these bribes to the community members, um, the board members, whoever it was. 
So what's the law? So he says, and this is a quote from his response, seems that regarding the actual law, if there are two valid witnesses that are not part of the congregation, are not related to a member of the congregation of the rabbi, and they testify that the members of the member of the congregation accepted bribery, is certain as egg and sour cream. I'm not sure what that means. This is an old expression. Seventeen hundreds. I guess wow. that their uh, sour cream has eggs. In, I don't know. Okay, it's certain as eggs, as eggs and sour cream that the appointment is retroactively invalid because the members of the congregation must declare that their decision is for altruistic reasons. So I must state Mishpat, and their decision was based on bribery. So he seems, based on these two sources, very clear. These are non-judicial settings. Um, the case of choosing a rabbi. The other case was again someone who's going to the penalty person. Um, where where they're clearly prohibiting taking a gift. We're taking a bribe um, if it's going to influence the decision and even though the, clearly we're not talking about a judgment we're not talking about a judge we're not talking about a judicial setting here so clearly based on this it would seem like it would be problematic um, to accept gifts where again specifically where it can influence um, the decision of that person as, a, as an appointed official so to speak so okay if I may let me offer an example and ask people whether I think this is bribe frequent flyer miles. Mm -hmm. So you're awarding frequent flyer miles abroad. Explain the question. Why well, that's that's an incentive for a business to get your business. So again, so that's a so yeah, I'm not sure where you're going, but the the point is a valid point, meaning let's say So it's not ambitious not but it I'll, I'll tell you exactly. For an individual the answer is clear. I think the answer is clearly not. But when the individual works for a company and the individual is making a decision and the individual receives the benefit and the company pays the cost, oh, yeah. it absolute, I speak from experience, yeah. and again, this is well written up, it's not just mine, right. people will absolutely make a decision on which airline to fly regardless of cost. So you mean in, in the, an employee in the company is making that decision? Meaning the guy that I used to work with at Anderson would travel out of Ellington Field instead of Hobby or Intercontinental only because he got more routes or be double the cost. On okay, on Continental instead of Southwest right. to get frequent flyer bonds. Sure, exactly. And so it cost another ten dollars, so what? Right. Exactly. And another ten dollars and another forty dollars. Okay, so, so it's a company is point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Benefit benefit either miles. more miles or yeah. just miles. Right. So okay, so yeah. that's so now I used to work for a guy, a Jewish so let me guy explain. that did that. So, this, <laughs> so now so now there's a problem there, but let me explain. So it's a valid point. So the problem there is not in the broad. The airline has a right. So this is very clear. I want to make this clear because this is very important. I think we discussed it in the past. And it's in the context of business, you have every right. Business have every right to offer incentives to use them. That's you know that's that's yes, that's but the business practice. To but airlines, pardon me, yeah. but airlines face this issue initially and refuse to allow the miles to go to the companies. Right, knowing that. So yes, they have every right to do what they want to do. I still think it's a corporate issue. I think in the sense that it's the corporation. Yeah. Corporation it. needs to write. They no, need to the have oversight in their company of the employee. To say our policy is for all employees, you find the cheapest route. Period. If there's if there's a reason for not doing it, then it needs to be clear. If you don't do that as a policy, then then you're, it's assumed that people are going to make are going to have their decisions based on certain criteria. It could be they don't want to do it nonstop. They don't want they want to stop in town for a day or whatever it is, you know, or even even flyer miles. Right. So I think it's not so much an employee's issue as it is employers should put the guidelines. Right, I agree. The meaning the, the now, now, you're, now, now you're saying Target isn't policing their front racks carefully. So if you steal from Target, no, it's Target's no, problem no, to, it's police no. to, to police better. It's not a matter of stealing. Why? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you mm -hmm. give an employee, employee says, I could go on Southwest for $500 or United for 550 and I'm going to get the frequent flyer miles. And the, employers, and the employee says, I'm going to take... That is absolutely stealing. You no, are stealing uh, from your company. Yes, plain but it's as not day. the no. airline's fault. Meaning that's like you're saying. It needs. You're right. The guy's an idiot. The employee's an idiot, and maybe the employer needs to have more oversight. But it's not the airline who's 
doing the bribe. I'm allowed to incentivize someone to come into my store. Whether I have a pretty receptionist or whether I'm offering them lollipops and ducks. What if he lives in the woodlands? Is he going to be required to drive all the way down the hobby because it's fifty dollars cheaper? But that, that's a valid question, it's but, a but, but, but allow me to, you know, sort of, there's too many other criteria. Yeah. That, 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 well, yeah, allow me to stabilize the, the employees leaving from this office, yeah. and can, get, you know, and that it's equidistant, mm-hmm. and is, is presented the choice. Now, I, I'm telling you, I know this from my own experience, and I certainly know it from other employers, and it's well written up. Big companies, there's a reason big companies have travel departments. It's not because they'd like to employ 12 more people. Mm-hmm. It's because the employees mm-hmm. run rampant with the cost, and the employees try to game the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not trying to defend. You know, should it, should employers be more vigilant? Well, they should always be more vigilant. You know, we we'd like to stop people from leaving with these at the end of the day, but they do. You know, so they they also take take the pencils out of the back and anything else right. that's not stapled down. <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, but I know that. Right, but that's so the same. Po- that doesn't make it right. We have policies and we have procedures and we have all sorts of stuff. Realize, but I think also <laughs> in regards to the airlines specifically, okay, they might have a preference for what frequent flyer program they go on, but if they choose in between Continental or Southwest, Southwest has frequent flyer program also. So either way, they're going to gain. Anyway, get I, I don't, the question, I don't think it's as well. Now you're only talking about who has the better bribes. But no, it's that's not a bribe. Again, incentivizing <laughs> for business, I'm allowed to do anything I can to get someone to use my company. There's nothing wrong with having incentive. If I have a pretty receptionist and they like coming to my office because they're pretty... That's not a bribe, right? That's, that's an incentive for them mm-hmm. to do business. Yeah, yeah, right? Okay, uh, do <laughs> right? So, so meaning you, you have every right to, to do whatever you can to get people to use your business. Now, is the guy, is the person stealing? 100% stealing from his company. The employee stealing? That's a different question. Which is, we'll give a class, and I'm trying to actually give a class for a while, and then I just can't find enough sources, which is, which is a whole bigger topic, which can an employer, um, you know, con- how much can he control of the employee's off-duty conduct, you know, things like that, you know, which is a whole part of that greater question, I think. But, that, but as far as bribing is concerned, it's not considered a bribe. I just want to get back, because we're, we're, we're at it for at a time. I'm going to question. One second, one second. I want to get to f- at least finish questions we addressed in the beginning. So, so for example, your issue with the, ki- the, the again, what the Chassam Sofer is saying here in this last statement is very clear that if you're a representative of a kind, con- in this case it's a congregation, or, or if you're a representative of a government, you're a government appointed minister, you have to represent uh, clearly if you accept a bribe, your decision is rendered invalid. That's number one, is what he says very clearly, even now in the judicial system. And also, your and your your um, technically invalidates you f- even from his position in this case. So the question now, I just want to throw one um, wrench in all of this, which is that what's interesting is these laws. The question is, is as we know, the Torah is given to Jews. So if I'm bribing a non-Jew, does a non-Jew have a prohibition of bribe? Okay, knows meaning because the whole these verses are in the Torah. They're not part of the seven Ohad laws. So the simple answer to that is yes. The seven, one of the seven Ohad laws is is having a just a justice system. Okay, so therefore it's in that justice system you'd assume it's prohibited. It has to be a just system. So it's prohibited to take bribes. But first of all, not everyone agrees that itself is debatable because some want to bring a proof that it actually in, in the non-Jewish justice system there's no prohibition of a judge ruling for family member. The Jewish justice system there is. Um, so they say if you can rule for family members, there's no bigger bribe or corruption than that. But that's leaving that aside. What's interesting is the question is once we're transferring the laws of the justice system now to non to ju- government officials, non-judicial system, other appointed officials. Many want to say that that wouldn't apply. To, now who said the non-Jewish system that applies? In the Jewish system, we're saying the Torah prohibits bribery <coughs> with all these criteria. And therefore, we're now going to apply that to a government appointed official to the Jewish system. Who said that it's applicable for a non-Jew? Who said we could go and make that leap? When you're dealing with the seven Ohad laws, we don't say it's prohibited for a government official to take a bribe. It's not one of the seven Ohad laws. So that's where it gets, it gets um, sort of a uh, gray area. But, uh, but I want to just to address your last point, which was the original point, which is clearly a congressman, you're right, if he's accepting, he's, it's equitable. No matter who calls him, he's going to do what he can because this his constituent, 100%. But if, let's say, I'm calling as a rabbi and I'm saying, you know, he knows my congregation votes as a block, 
much. Uh, in Houston, it doesn't happen, but in other places it works. Yeah. Where I went to rabbinical school, basically there's there's you know eight thousand families, who whatever the Rosh Hashiva says, whoever they vote for, it says vote for this candidate. You know the the mayor when he wins the election that in the city makes a kiddush in the yeshiva. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's a form of bribery. Mm-hmm. Okay, he makes a kiddush in the yeshiva because he knows the only way he can get in is with the support of this voting block. Because there's the whole town is, you know, 100,000 people, and, and there's 8,000 families voting across the board for him. Okay, there's no so so um, that could be a bigger problem. If I'm the Rosh Hashiva and I say, listen, let's do lunch together, and and I need this, I need you to approve we're buying this land, which happens very often in that town. They're expanding, and we need more room for our campus. Can you? Prove the zoning for this land, and that happens, right? So has that in, that in those situations where it's not as clear cut, meaning they're doing it because they want the vote, is that considered a bribe? How does that work? So, and I'm not clear. I don't have a good answer for that in those situations. So, in regards back to business business issues, yes. Since the U.S. has a law that says don't bribe a government official, well, the foreign so corruption. Luckily, we can't do it. So, if you're going to do business in Asia, you might as well just kiss. So yes, I mean it's a good question. I need to do more research. Right again, technically, meaning without the law on the books, I'm not sure it would be prohibited because, again, that might be the way. That's the way the system works. Right, right. So that's what I'm saying. But now there's the law on the books. Sorry. I think. Excuse the French. But it's a problem, isn't it? You know, if people. Uh, no, again, I don't know. You, you, listen, you, you, it, it's clear, meaning there's no way to get the contract you're saying without going you know, through the system. That is a system. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j ethics.org. Shalom.